Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Good morning, Mercy Church. It is a joy uh, to be with you in between Christmas and New Year's. This is one of my favorite weeks of the year. Uh, how, I feel, how I feel coming into this week, I have just eaten a ton of Christmas cookies, some breakfast casserole, some candied popcorn. I've been traveling, you know, and, and my schedule is all out of sorts that I feel exhausted. And then lo and behold, there's an opportunity coming up for a fresh start, an opportunity to reconsider what's come before, to look what's ahead, and to make resolutions, to make resolutions. So some of you even hear that word and you just kind of, ugh resolutions. You might be in the group of more pessimists, or you probably call yourself a realist. So you've heard the stats of New Year's resolutions that probably only 8% of people keep their New Year's resolution. Uh, Maybe you've even tried it. You were in the January stampede of treadmills that mysteriously dies by mid-February. You know, maybe you have gone all out on the keto and then the Christmas cookies hit you and you're right back where you started. Or you tried a Bible reading plan and you hit Leviticus. It's always Leviticus. Right, so you're you come into this year and you resolve, I will make no resolutions. That's the pessimism. I will make no resolutions. Now, some of you are more optimistic. You're the optimists, and you hear that eight percent, and you're thinking, so you're telling me there's a chance. So I'm going to be a part of the 8%. I'm going to be the one that goes and really does it. So you've already cleared out the pantry. You've already bought the kale. You've already gotten the YMC membership, and you are in. you got planners for your planners. And so you're an optimist. You are in. And you say, coming in this year, I am going to keep my resolutions. I'm going to keep my resolutions. And the gospel this morning, as we look at the scriptures, is going to confront both camps, both groups. To the pessimist, the gospel says that we are not our own. We belong to someone else to whom we are accountable, and he has set us free to joyfully enter into resolves for good. The gospel tells the pessimist, you must make resolutions. You must make resolutions. But the optimists aren't off the hook either. You see, the gospel doesn't just propel us into resolutions. The gospel propels us into resolutions that are out of our power to keep. It brings us beyond our ability to the things that we can plan and execute, to the things that we must depend on God's power for. See, the gospel is going to come to the optimist just like it comes to the pessimist with a challenge. You must make resolutions, but you must make resolutions that you cannot keep. You must make resolutions you cannot keep. That's where we're going to look at as we are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll read it for us, starting in verse 11. Starting in verse 11. I'm reading from the ESV. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this passage is going to propel us into gospel resolutions. And what I'm going to show you is three marks of gospel resolutions. But before we get there, you look at verse 11, it begins with to this end. Your translation may say with this in mind or in view of this. Now, when you see that, you have to pause and say, what is Paul saying to what end? What end is Paul referring to? So let's go back and start at verse five. Going back to verse five to see what is Paul referring to? Let me read it. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So Paul is saying, Jesus is coming one day, and he's going to handle two groups of people. You see, the first group are what verse 10 says, those who have believed. And their response when Jesus comes is going to go, wow, Jesus, you're here. They're going to marvel at the coming of Jesus and give him glory because he has saved them. He has delivered them. That's the first group is those who have believed. But there's a second group. It's those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of God. And what the scripture says is that when Jesus comes, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. It's the reverse of the Emmanuel. Instead of God coming to dwell with them in love, God shuts them out in his wrath. And there may be some of you in this room, many of you who that rubs the wrong way. You know, we're just talking about joyful resolutions and being productive. And then now we're talking about hell. And, uh, you know, the, this doctrine, there's no doubt about it. It's tough to grapple with. It's a hard doctrine. And yet what I want to put forth to you is it could be that your problem with this doctrine is because your view of God is different than the God of the Bible. See, in order to see our American view of God, you don't have to look farther than the man who has a big belly and a white beard and rosy cheeks that we've been singing about for the past month. See, this man, his name's Santa Claus. I'll just throw it out there. His name's Santa Claus. And he lives in a distant land. He lives somewhere out there. We don't see him. We know he's coming. And when he comes, he's going to judge between naughty and nice. But let's be honest, when he comes, what kid is he going to call naughty, right? 
I mean, I'm sure there's some kid out there who's committed murder and, you know, robbery who doesn't get Christmas presents. But on the whole, every kid is relatively nice and they'll get presents. And he comes and then he leaves and we don't see him again until the next season. So it produces a brief season of excitement followed by a long season of apathy. And while he may be helpful for curbing immoral behavior and impressionable minds. Once we gain our independence and autonomy, we don't really need him anymore until we spend a season thinking about his coming. And so what we end up with is a distant and lenient judge who wants us to be nice, but ultimately exists to bless us. Is that Santa Claus or the God you believe in. You see, the, the gospel, Jesus Christ, is better than that. The gospel is better than that. See, Jesus comes and he doesn't just judge according to our relative ideas of naughty and nice, but he judges according to his standard of holiness. And what he finds is a people who are not nice, but a people who are desperately wicked and sinful against a holy God. He finds all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and are deserving of wrath. And what he does is not inflict that wrath upon us, but he takes it all upon himself. See, he doesn't just drop off a wrapped gift. He gives his very self to us, Emmanuel, to die for our sins. And on the cross, he takes all of, not just our naughty, but our sin against him on the cross. And he bears it all and it kills him. And he raises from the grave. He ascends to the Father and he offers whoever would believe in him to come and be with him forever. And he sends a spirit to be with them so that he can say, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Always, even to the end of the age. That is better than a distant but lenient judge who wants us to be nice but ultimately exists to bless us. This is the creator, the God of all things, who calls us who have rebelled against him into relationship with him, who says, come be my child. Take off your rebel uniform, come and put on the robes of royalty. Come. That's better. And whereas believing in a Santa Claus theology can produce brief moments and seasons of devotion when he comes to bless us, awaiting the coming of this great king, this great king who comes to take us with him, to redeem us, believing in this great king, Jesus Christ, produces lifelong devotion and eternal devotion and praise to him. Jesus is better than this. You see, the gospel demands resolutions. The gospel demands a resolutions because we await his coming when we will see our love and be reunited to him. That's where we get maybe off a little bit on some of the, you know, uh, thoughts of Jesus coming. You know, preparing for Jesus coming is not all about storing up canned goods, you know, to prepare either for the rapture or a zombie apocalypse. You know, preparing for the coming of Jesus is like a husband 
whose wife is away on a trip and the house is a mess and his, his, his beard's growing out and he knows she's about to return. So he gets it all, everything cleaned up. He vacuums, he shaves, he gets everything ready, eager for her to come home and he's not doing it in order to be her husband. He's not doing it in order to be in relationship with her. He's doing it because he has been brought into relationship with her. He's doing it because she is his wife and he longs with all that he is to please her when she returns. That's what it's all about with getting ready for the coming of Jesus. The best way to get ready for Jesus coming is to make resolutions for Jesus' glory to make resolutions for Jesus' glory. That's what Paul is talking about in this verse. He, he says, to this end, we always pray for you. In light of Jesus' coming, we pray for you that our God may count you worthy, make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. See, the gospel demands resolutions, but what kind of resolution is equally important as making them? And so we're gonna have three marks of gospel resolutions, the kind of resolutions that God brings us into. And the first we see right here, the first kind of resolution the gospel brings us into is imperishable resolutions. These are resolutions that will last in eternity. Resolutions that will last in eternity that don't just matter for 2019, but that matter for 2119 when none of us will be here and on and on and on for millions of years. Those are the kinds of resolutions that God calls us to. So when I first learned how to drive a car, I showed up at driver's ed. And like many of you, I had no idea what I was doing. But on my first uh, driving test, I'm with my, my driver's ed coach, and he is holding on for dear life with his foot above the pedal. Um, and what he, what he did from the get-go was corrected the biggest mistake I was making. So as I was driving, I was looking five feet ahead of me on the road. So I wanted to make sure I was in the middle of the line. So I was looking right down, and, and what happened was I was shaking back and forth, and he said, no, 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 that's not what you want to do, because if you are looking five feet ahead of the road, you're going to be going left and then right and then left and right, and then you won't even see the road signs to know where you're going. Instead, Look 500 feet ahead. Because if you look 500 feet ahead, you'll see where you're going. And you'll also, with your peripheral vision, be able to see the road. See, so many of us in our year-to-year -year resolutions are like I was in the driver's ed car. You see, you look five feet ahead of you just to 2019 and think, oop, I gained 15 pounds. All right, got to correct, got to correct. Oop, I'm eating junk. All right, I got to correct, I got to correct. All right, I'm not very happy this year. Happiness will be my goal in 2019. All right, got to correct. I'm not saving enough money. All right, got to correct, got to correct. And what happens is year after year, we do these small course corrections as we look five feet ahead of us. And years down the line, at, our end, at the end of our life, we wonder where we are at all. See, the gospel compels us to look ahead into eternity to look ahead at Christ and the imperishable resolutions to which he calls us. And when we will look ahead, he will cover the rest. That's what he means in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. Look ahead at Christ, and then all these things will be added to you. 
So what is an imperishable resolution? What are the kinds of things I'm talking about? I'm going to list a few, and you note takers are going to be freaked out as I'm listing them one by one. I just want you to sit back, sit back and listen. The hope is as I, as I go through these, you're going to be thinking about imperishable resolutions the Lord might be calling you to. All right, so 2 Corinthians 5.9 says that to know and please and love the Lord Jesus is imperishable. It lasts forever. It's rewarded forever. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says that godliness, becoming more like Jesus, will last forever. It's imperishable. So all your reading of the Bible, praying to God, confessing your sin, working hard to become more like Jesus, it's not in vain. There is a reward forever. Matthew 19, 29 through 30 says that making sacrifices for the advancement of the gospel is imperishable. There will be reward for eternity. Matthew 6 says that giving generously for the kingdom of God is imperishable. And then Matthew 10, 42 says that the smallest act of kindness for your brothers and sisters in Christ is imperishable. They will be rewarded forever and ever and ever. Those are the kinds of imperishable resolutions we're called to. Now, you may have a question here. Is there any value in perishable resolutions? Is there any value in kale and in treadmill running and in figuring out where your money is going? See, that verse we mentioned, 1 Timothy 4, 7, 8, provides, 4, 7 through 8 provides the perfect balance. Paul says, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. See, these perishable resolutions, they have value. There really is value in exercising. There really is value in working on the things that are going to help 2019 run smoothly. But there is infinitely more value in the resolutions that will matter not just next year, but forever and ever and ever. See, what you have to ask yourself is in light of the weight of eternity, compared to the weight of 2019, where are you investing? Where are your resolutions going? See, the best investment of your time is in the world that is not bound by time. The best investment of your money is in the world where money cannot be taken away. The best investment of your life is in the world where life never ends. You do that and you will not be sorry for your investment, but you will marvel and glory when Christ returns. Give yourself to imperishable resolutions. So here's a question. I'm going to do these for each of the marks, a question to ask of your resolutions. First one is, will your resolutions matter one million years from now? As you look through your goals, think, will this resolution, will the completion of this resolution matter one million years from now? So give yourself to imperishable resolutions, resolutions that will matter for eternity. Second, Paul moves on and he says, to this end, talking about eternity, look at the verse in verse 11. He says, we pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. 
so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he prays that God would make them worthy of the calling so that their lives would glorify Jesus. So what does it mean to be worthy of the calling? We know from verses like Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, that we can't make ourselves deserving of the call of God or of the grace he's given. So we know that's not what it means, but what does it mean? What does it actually mean? It means that we would live in such a way to display the worth of the gospel, to give evidence that we have been called. And in so doing, we live lives for which there is no other explanation but the gospel of Jesus Christ. You live lives where someone looks at you and says, that has to be the gospel of Jesus that has transformed them. That's what walking worthy of the gospel. And when you do that, you bring glory to Jesus. You show that Jesus is so valuable that to know him changes everything. That's what it means to walk worthy of the calling and to glorify Jesus. It's like me, me and my wife, we, um, my wife was expecting in, in this past year. Now we have a three month old. And when she began expecting, there are clear signs that that is true. And they're undeniable. Her eating habits begin to change. She doesn't like what she used to like. And she begins to like new things. She starts to feel bad and, and she starts to get symptoms. And as she grows just a little bit, people start to know to expect the coming of this child. It's a signal to everyone. It's evidence that, hey, I'm expecting and there is someone coming. There's someone coming. See, that's like the gospel. The gospel every single time provides the symptoms of a transformed life. Every single time the gospel is received, it equals a transformed life. And what that signals to everyone is there's no other explanation for this person's life except that the gospel of Jesus Christ has transformed them and that brings glory to Jesus. And that comes to our second mark of the kind of resolutions God brings us to. They're inexplicable. They can only be explained by the gospel of Christ. They're inexplicable. They can only be explained by the gospel of Christ. C.S. Lewis talks about Jesus and how we might consider him. And he says, when you look at the life of Christ, everything he taught, everything he said, everything he did, you can't conclude that he was just a good teacher. You have to either put him as a liar or a lunatic, a crazy person, or he's Lord. Either he just was crazy and thought he was the son of God, or he actually was the son of God. There's only two options. You can't call him a good teacher if the essential teaching was that he was the son of God, right? So we know that's true of Jesus. Either he's a lunatic or he's Lord. But Jesus says in Matthew 10, 24, a disciple is not above his teacher. It's enough that a disciple should be like his teacher. So if that's true of Jesus, shouldn't it be true of all of his disciples? 
that people should be able to look at us and they can't just say, well, that's a good person. That person really got their morals together. You know, they're really great and nice and kind. No, if it's true of Jesus, it's also true of his disciples. That they should be so passionate about Jesus. They should love him with such fervor. They should be so consumed with the son of God and following him that those who look from the outside say, either that person's crazy or the gospel is true. Either that person is out of their mind or the gospel is true. That's what it means to make inexplicable resolutions. It's resolutions for which there's no other explanation but the gospel of Christ. Are you by your goals and resolutions showing the worth of Jesus Christ? Are you showing the worth of Jesus Christ? And that comes to our second question in this mark. Will Jesus receive more glory because of your resolutions? Will Jesus receive more glory because of your resolutions? If all your dreams were fulfilled, would, your, would you just be a little bit slimmer and your bank account fatter and your reputation better? Or if all your dreams were fulfilled, would Jesus be more glorified on earth? That's what you need to keep in mind as you're making gospel resolutions in 2019. Now notice that in this passage, Paul is praying. He says, to this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. So the question is, Paul's praying in this verse, who is doing the resolving? We are. Who is doing the fulfilling? God is. Who is doing the working? We are. Who is supplying the power? God is. So who completes the resolutions? Yes. The answer is yes. Here is the secret of the power of Christianity. When Jesus calls us to himself and adopts us and redeems us and sends us out as children of God, he does not leave us alone. He gives us his Holy Spirit who renews our desires and makes us want to want Jesus. He gives us new purposes, new resolutions. What once was great, now is bad. What once is bad, now is delightful. He gives us Holy Spirit who empowers us to obey. How does this work? When I first learned, was learning how to uh, ride on a bicycle, and you know, you, you kick off the training wheels, and it's big time. And I, I, as I was riding, my dad was there helping me out. So as I'm on there, I'm pedaling. Let's be honest, if he takes his hands off, I'm done. But what he would do is as I would shift to the right, he would be there just to provide a little pressure. Now go this way. If I would lean a little bit to the left, he'd be providing just a little pressure. I'd go this way. Through it all, he's whispering in my ear, speaking encouragement. You got this. You got this. I love you. I'm with you. And you know, I, would, I never felt more the strength of my dad as I was riding the bike as when I was going uphill. 
in a, in a, in a challenging road, that's when my dad would take over. I was pedaling. I had to pedal, but he was pulling. He was pushing as I was going. See, that's how, a little bit how it works with the Holy Spirit. He's there with us. And as we swerve a little bit to the right, you might just know that's not you. That's not who you are in Christ Jesus. As we swerve a little bit to the left, he's there providing just a nudge. No, don't believe that's, that lie. That's not who you are. And as we come to the point of difficulty, he's there whispering, whispering in our ear, reminding us, you are saved, you're adopted, you're loved, I'm here. And as we bring, come up to a road, a point of obedience that's difficult, never like in that moment will you feel the power of the spirit. As when you come up to a place that is beyond your power, that's a third mark of the resolutions. They are impossible they require God's power to keep. They're like the uphill roads that I didn't have a chance of biking, but in that moment, that's when the Holy Spirit comes. That's when he empowers us to obey. So you may be in here, and you've heard all this stuff about imperishable resolutions and you know, inexplicable resolutions, and you're thinking, man, that's really great for those in here who are really good and really re- religious and got themselves together, but... I don't think I can do that. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. You feel like you can't share the gospel. You feel like you can't talk to your neighbors and coworkers, and that's just not how you are. You feel like you can't do that alone. You are right. And that's why God promised to send his spirit to help us testify to Jesus in Acts 1. You feel like you can't overcome that habitual sin that's tearing you down. You can't overcome the sin that keeps pulling you away from Jesus. You're right. That's why God promised in Romans 8, 13 to send his spirit to you, to help you put to death the deeds of the body. You think, I can't really pray. I'm not too good of a prayer. You know, I get in there and then I start thinking about everything else. I can't pray on my own. You're right. You can't. That's why God promises in Romans 8, 26 and 27 to send his spirit to help us pray when we don't know what to pray for. You think you can't hold on in the midst of affliction and suffering and difficulty. You're right, you can't. That's why God promises in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 to send his spirit to comfort you and be present in the midst of much affliction. See, the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we can give ourselves to impossible resolutions. Make resolutions you cannot keep because God has given you a spirit who cannot be stopped. Give yourself into resolutions because it's not your power. It's not your ability. It is God's power within you. You see, in the Christian life, it's not you can do it, it's you can't do it. But he did it, and because he did it, you can do it with him. You can't, but he did, and because he did, you can do it in him. That's the Christian life. And that's why you give yourself to impossible resolutions. You get on the bike. You don't just say, I can't do this. You get on the bike, and it's on the bike of obedience where you encounter the power of the Holy Spirit. But how do, you, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? You see, this power 
can't be purchased with money or good works or anything else. It is paid for completely by the blood of Jesus Christ. All you have to do, according to Luke eleven thirteen, is ask. The father says, if you then are evil, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Have you asked for the Holy Spirit? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit, just like the gift of salvation, cannot be earned, but is a free gift of God given to hungry souls. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that leads right into our last point of where these resolutions are coming from. Because if you see the, the last verse in the passage, we haven't touched on one point. He says, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace, the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you come out of here and try to give yourself to a bunch of resolutions in your power, you will fail. You will fail. The only way we are able to resolve for good is because God has made a resolution of grace toward us first. It's the only way. See, this was my story when I, I grew up just a few miles south of here in Weddington. And I, I, I grew up, especially in high school, just wanting enough. If I could drink enough, if I could get high enough, if I could be liked enough and praised enough. And I, inter, I mingled that with a few stints of, can I be good enough? And I got to the point where I had enough of enough. And I wanted nothing to do with God. But I changed. And it wasn't me picking myself up from my bootstraps. It wasn't me cleaning my life up and getting responsible. The power of change came when I saw the glory of God in the grace of Jesus Christ. That changed everything. When I saw that God would receive me just as I was, Take me in and adopt me because it was all covered for on the cross. That changed everything. The collector of dust that I once called the Bible became a treasure of gold. A distant judge I once called Jesus became a best friend. That was grace. And it, didn't, it wasn't because I was awesome. It was because I was so far from Jesus that I knew nothing but the grace of God could bring me to where God brought me. And it's the same for you. If you are here this morning and you don't know that grace, I plead with you, that make that resolve. Make that resolve. Resolve to follow Jesus, to receive his salvation, to turn from your own way and turn toward God. You say, where do I sign up? What do I do? All you need to do is believe. Come, everyone who has no money, Come everyone who is empty, who has nothing to give and buy rich food. Come all of you who are in, in poverty of spirit, who have nothing to bring to the cross of Christ and cling to the cross. That's where salvation comes from. Believe, turn from your sins and follow Jesus and he will empower you to follow him. You will not be left alone. If you are a brother or sister in Christ this morning, 
I want to encourage you in a couple of ways. First, rejoice. Rejoice. Take a deep breath of air as you go into 2019. It is finished. It's finished. Jesus is not in the grave. He's alive. That shouldn't produce a bunch of stressed out people. That should produce a bunch of free, joyful people celebrating in his goodness. Rejoice. Rest. It's finished. He has you. And knowing he has you, resolve. Resolve. He is worthy. Give yourself to resolutions for Jesus that are imperishable, inexplicable, impossible, not because you want to earn his favor, but because you're so excited about him coming that you want to please him in every way you can. Give yourself to resolutions. In fact, we've created a really simple worksheet just to make this easy of taking a next step. It's at uh, www.mercycharlotte.com slash new year. Now that'll be a starting point for you. And I encourage you to do that tomorrow. That'll be a starting point, but don't stop there. Let the Lord give you dreams and, and passions and purposes for how you're going to follow him in 2019 and filter it through those questions that we've been talking about. Rejoice, rest, and then resolve, resolve for good. Now, some of you are coming into 2019 just burdened. You hear this whole sermon about resolving and doing and all that, and you're just saying, I can't take any more. You may be in affliction or suffering or um, in a season of trial and difficulty, and you, the Lord may have a bunch of resolutions for you, but I want to give you one. Hold on to God. Hold on to God. Now you may be thinking, that's, we've been talking about these grand resolutions and all you're telling me to do is hold on to God? No, no, no. You see, holding on to God in the midst of suffering and affliction is a gospel resolution. You see, that is imperishable. Because as you hold on to God and believe in his goodness in the midst of difficulty, he is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory that is beyond compare. The reward will last forever and ever and ever for you holding to his goodness in this time. It's inexplicable because it just makes sense when people bless God when everything is going great in their lives. But when someone has been ripped of everything and brought low to nothing, that can't be explained apart from the gospel of Jesus. That's inexplicable. And it's impossible. You cannot hold on to God alone. In fact, the only way that you can hold on to God is because he is holding on to you in Christ Jesus. Kelly and I, we have this, our three-month-old daughter, and she can't lift a thing. She can't pick up a wooden block or a marshmallow. She, she can't lift up a single thing. And yet there's one thing she can do. She can grab mommy's hair and pull her clothes. Now, why can she do that if she can't do anything else? Well, you see, her mommy is holding her so close and for so long and so tight that her mommy makes it an easy thing to hold on to her and pull her close. So you may not think that you can bear anything right now in your circumstances, and what you need to know is that you can hold on to God. You can reach out for him. 
It's not because of your power. It's because God is holding you so close and for so long and so near that your daddy makes it a light thing to pull his face close. See, God has made a resolution. God has made a resolution. In Isaiah 54, 10, the, the mountains may depart. The mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love will not depart from you. That's God's resolution. Everything in your life may be swept away. Your circumstances may be in the worst place they've been in years. Your world may, be, may have been shaken in 2018, but God's love for you is not shaken. God's love for you is not shaken. Trust in that. Rejoice in him and resolve for good. Let us pray. Father, I want to pray that you would strengthen us, your children, to do what we just talked about. That every soul in here who has been brought near by the blood of Christ would reach out and take hold of you in their hearts. Jesus, you wept. You have compassion for us in the midst of difficulty. And you're weeping for us now those who are suffering. And I pray that all of us, whether we're weary or burdened, Lord, that we would be strengthened to take hold of you and to remember the grace of Jesus, that you have adopted us, that you have held us by your grace in the past and that the work that you have began in us, you will bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're ready to see you. We're ready to see you come through the clouds and to be reunited with our love. But until then, Lord, I pray, empower your people to fulfill every resolve of good and every work of faith by your power so that your name, your name, Jesus, may receive all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.